Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. I'm back from the SEC's spring meetings. They were last week down in Destin. Enjoyed some some sunshine, some time on the sand, but also lots of conversation around the Hilton Sand Destin where that event occurs about the future of the SEC's schedule and what that might mean for rivalries. No decisions are made, but it seems like it's down to either one of two models. Uh, Model A would have SEC playing eight conference games, including one designated rival. Model B that's being discussed would have nine conference games with three designated rivals. But uh, the dialogue's ongoing, possibly have a decision later this year. John, you're on record. You you like the the nine game conference model, correct? The, the which would be the three designated rivals and and six interchangeable opponents. Yeah, I prefer that. I mean, if it were up to me, you'd play uh, eleven conference games and you'd have an exhibition game against Akron or Ball State to open the season. You're not even going to bother with like a marquee non conference game. No, not at all. Yeah, what's interesting with these two models, John. The discussion around Destin was if it goes to a nine-game conference model, the talk is that the SEC teams then would drop the requirement to play a Power 5 non-conference game. I don't like that. I don't see why you still can't play a Power 5 opponent in the non-conference. I know know, the teams that are trying to scratch and claw and get to six victories to play in the Birmingham Bowl won't like that. But tough luck. This is a this is a big boy league, and and we heard from some schools say that even without that requirement, they they'd play a Power Five non conference game. Florida said they they certainly would. They'd keep their series going with with Florida State. You have to thank Alabama, some of the other big dogs in the conference. I mean, they're going to continue to play a marquee non conference game. I think. But does that change your opinion at all? Would you then shift to an eight game conference model? if it means keeping that requirement to play a marquee non-conference, or you still say nine conference games at a minimum? No, I, I want to go at at least nine games. And and I, I don't I don't really care about having that rule where you got to play. I mean, if you want to line up four teams from the MAC, uh, good for you. Okay, I don't care about that. But let's cut it to three. I just think it's absurd, the idea of having – a 16-team conference, which the SEC will have when you bring in Oklahoma and Texas, um, and you're going to play eight conference games? I mean, come on. Look, you're supposed to be the best – you are the best football conference. It's not even close. So live up to that. As you said, this is a big boy conference. And the Big Ten has been playing nine conference games. The Big 12 has been playing nine conference games for several years. So it's not like 
the SEC would be headed into uncharted waters here. Other conferences are doing this. And I know the theory in the, the SEC is, well, you know, this league's better and you end up beating up on each other. Well, look at 2020. 2020, they played a 10-game conference schedule. Alabama goes undefeated and, and is regarded as one of the greatest teams in college football history. And Texas A&M would have made the playoff that year if either Notre Dame uh, or Ohio State had lost a game that season, which was beyond their control. So I don't buy this argument that it, it makes it to where you can't get in the playoff. You absolutely can get one or two teams into a four-team playoff every year. And if the playoff expands, your strength of schedule is going to be even greater by playing nine conference games. So I don't see, other than those programs, like I said, trying to get to six wins and bowl eligibility, I don't see a downside to, to playing a ninth conference game. There, there really isn't one. It, it helped you put fans in the seats. I think your television partners would like it. On down the line, it, it seems like an obvious choice to me. Well, you mentioned the bowls. I would not have a, a win uh, restriction on bowl bids. I mean, if the Birmingham Bowl wants to invite UAB at three and nine, go for it. It's your bowl. Somebody's going to want to, somebody will watch that because they're going to bet on it. I mean, think about it. So, yeah, I just don't care about that. And a lot of times you could have a five and seven team that would be a much better bowl opponent than a seven and five team, depending on the schedule. I mean, yeah, I agree. And, and if the college football playoff is going to expand at the end of this current contract, which I think we all think it will, it's just a matter of what format, then for the Bulls to stick around, you might need to have some five and seven teams in it. And and so be it. And the reality is, if you're trying to get to that sixth win, you're trying to find a cupcake opponent to, to slide in there to get to a sixth win. You know, that's not going to save your job anyway, is it really? Like, I mean, that's the whole point. These coaches want to find enough guaranteed victories that they can save their job. Well, if it comes down to, you know, playing a ninth conference game or playing eight conference games so you can schedule Ball State, I mean, what athletic director in their right mind is going to say, well, he beat Ball State, so we'll keep him around for another season. No, if you're if you're on the brink of being fired, uh, you know, the difference between going six and six with a win over Ball State or going five and seven, that's not going to save your job anyway. No, and I tell you what I'd like to see, Blake, I'd like to see the worst bowl. I'd like to see you pick the two worst teams in the country and line them up in a bowl game. Make a big deal out of it. Publicize it. What's gone wrong with these two programs? How bad are these coaches? Should they both be fired? Should the loser be fired? I think it would be entertaining. I'd watch the two worst teams play each other. I don't have a problem with the number of bowl games. We hear that complaining every year, you know, from the – from the corners, from the shadows. But like you said, anymore with betting being mainstream, people want something on TV to give them an option to watch other than Hallmark movies around the holidays and have, have some something to bet on. You can't but, bet on Hallmark movies. You sure, you sure can't. You already <laughs> you, know the ending before they start. They yeah, all end it, it, the same way. If you can figure out a way to bet on Hallmark movies, let me know. All right, John, one of the things that that goes in conjunction with the scheduling talk and, and want to get into here for our podcast is the rivalries because they go hand in hand depending on what you do with the schedule affects how many rivalries you can keep going on an annual basis so here's what i want to do without determining a scheduling format we're going to have this this conversation out outside of that not knowing what the schedule format is going to be 
we're going to pick 10 rivalry games that the SEC should do everything it can to preserve on an annual basis, no matter what it does with its scheduling format. So you'll pick five, I'll, I'll pick five, we'll kind of go back and forth. And it's important to note, we're doing this with the future of the conference in mind. So these rivalries can entail Texas and Oklahoma. We're, we're, we're forward thinking here on SEC Football Unfiltered. So among our 10 rivalries will be games featuring Texas and OU. And some teams in the conference, they might not have any rivalries in our top 10 that we think's worth protecting. We're not pigeonholing ourselves in and saying we got to pick a rival for, for every team in the conference. So, Johnny, you want to bet lead off? What's what's uh, your number one rivalry the SEC needs to protect going forward, regardless of whatever scheduling format it decides on? Well, when you have people dying over the outcome of a game, that's the true definition of a rivalry, to which I give you Alabama versus Auburn. I mean, let's face it. To me, it's the best rivalry in sports. You've been playing it every year. You can call it the Iron Bowl. doesn't matter what you call it. Think about the coaches that have gotten fired over this rivalry. Um, it, it's just, there's just so much hatred. And I think another true definition of a rivalry is when you pull against your rival, no matter who it's playing. I mean, you know, you people like to say, well, I usually pull for the SEC in games. Yeah, people, fans here are very provincial about the SEC. It's the best conference. They love SEC football, but they don't love their rivals. So when it comes to, I mean, if Fresno State's playing Auburn, Alabama fans are pulling for Fresno State. And, and I think those in-state rivals – I mean, they just take on a, another level, and we're going to get into some rivalries here later that are across the borders. But I think, you know, this is a classic case of, you know, the state of Alabama's on the line, and and you go into some, you know, cities in in Alabama, and it's it's like a city divided. You you know, you if you spend any length of time in that city, you'll run into Alabama and and Auburn fans. And it, you know, I was staying in in Montgomery before the Iron Bowl last year, and and while having dinner. At a restaurant in Montgomery, Alabama, I had within minutes of each other, uh, you know, one fan wearing Auburn garb sits down at the bar and then another fan, uh, they didn't know each other, wearing Alabama yeah. apparel sits down next to the Auburn fan at the bar and, and things got heated pretty quickly. Uh, were, they, the, were they packing? I, we, I didn't find out, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully, I did, I did not have to find out. But there were words, words exchanged. And it started off in in good fun, and I don't know that it yeah, ended yeah. In, in good fun. Yeah. It's it's just more heated, you know. I think when you have two rivals within the within the same states, so I I agree. I think this is this is the obvious choice. Would be foolish if we didn't put this atop the list. And there's there's so many great stories with this with the Iron Bowl rivalry. But our our colleagues in the, the USA Today Network, uh, Bennett Durando and and Nick Kelly, did a story leading up to the Iron Bowl last year that had some some memories of the game and, and there was a great story in there of of Terry Bowden who was coaching Auburn at the time watching the local news the night before coaching in his first Iron Bowl and you had a TV reporter out there you know there was there were fans tailgaters outside Jordan Hare Stadium the day before the game and so TV reporter goes out and you know does your typical story find a fan and 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 get a taste of the 
of the town a little bit. So TV reporter goes up to the fan and says, uh, is this game life or death? And the fan says, oh, no, 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 no. It's much bigger than that. <laughs> <laughs> and and as Terry Bowden told our, our colleagues there, Bennett Durando and Nick Kelly, uh, that's that's really when it sunk in for for him, just how big of a game he was about to coach in here. The, the fans were saying, this, this game isn't life or death. It's bigger than life or death. <laughs> that's great. All right. Iron Bowl number one. I'm going to stick with that... Um, in-state theme. I'm going to stick with the the Thanksgiving week rivalry for my my first pick, and I'm I'm going with the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss Mississippi State. I know, I know the stakes aren't always as high for this game in terms of like you know national championship in terms of college football playoff, but I think within that state, the stakes of the Egg Bowl are just as big as within the state of Alabama for the iron bowl. Again, it, it may not mean as much on the national scene, uh, which I think in, in some ways is, is a shame. I don't know that this game gets the attention nationally that it probably deserves. I mean, this is as heated as a, of a rivalry as it comes. A lot of times they play it on Thanksgiving night, which I think is a, is a great choice. It gives the game some spotlight. You know, it used to be the NFL games were, were done come Thanksgiving night. Now I think they, they play a Thursday night NFL game on, on Thanksgiving, but still, you know, this is the college game when they play it on, on Thanksgiving night, and I think that's where it deserves to be. And and as I said, I, I just think when it comes to the bitterness uh, of rivals, there's there's no love lost, you know, between Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State. I think, Blake, the only difference in this rivalry in Alabama-Auburn, it's just as heat, heated, just as much hatred. The difference is Alabama and Auburn uh, routinely are playing for higher stakes than Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But that almost adds to the, the heat of this rivalry. Is, yeah, you're, you might, maybe you might have a game where neither teams go into a bowl. They're not even bowl eligible. But that doesn't detract from the game because the fans hate each other so much. And, and, it, and so college football is all about intensity, and you can sense it even watching on TV. When those teams take the field, and on the first play of the game, you can just sense it when it's a heated rivalry. And that's as heated as any. So I was a columnist in Jackson, Mississippi in the late 70s at Clarion Ledger. And we had people that would send us, this was obviously pre-internet, would send us letters. One guy kept a record of how many column inches appeared in our paper, which supposedly was neutral, even though it was owned by an Ole Miss family. Uh, would keep a, a running count of how many column inches were devoted to Ole Miss and how many were devoted to Mississippi State in each day's publication. That's you, a rivalry. You need to write that fan back and say, well, did you measure the width of the columns? Like, you know, some of those column inches, you know, sometimes you, you lay a story out of five cro- columns across the page. Sometimes it's six columns across the page. So, well, they cut it. He cuts them all out. See, he, oh, he okay. puts them in vertical order. He, he had like the surface area yes. measured. Probably had a pica rule. Okay. Remember those? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. actually. Okay. The, the interesting thing about these two rivalries, Iron Bowl and Egg Bowl, John, no professional sports in those two states. You know, and I know we'll get into to some other rivalries that are very important, very heated, but I do think that changes the stakes a little bit. I mean, the, the, these are the Super Bowl games within the states of Alabama and, and Mississippi, and I, and I think not having professional sports teams, you know, ramps this up 
even further. All right, your your next pick. Well, you mentioned we could we're looking to the future here, so I I've got to have Oklahoma Texas. Um, yeah, and, and that rivalry surely they will extend it into the SEC when they join. Uh, it's not technically no, it's not an in-state rivalry, but it's not a not a whole lot of mileage between Norm and Oklahoma and that Texas border. Uh, I mean, I think of Oklahoma as North Texas. And, and I think that's what gives you – and it's not just the games. They play every year. They play it at the state fair there in Dallas, which is a great – if you got if you're going to one state fair in your life, go to the one in, in Dallas, Texas. But it, it's, it's just like an in-state rivalry, and it's not just the games. It's the recruiting because, oh, you recruits Texas with a vengeance. And it doesn't – it doesn't go into recruiting think, oh, oh, my gosh, how will we beat out Texas for an in-state player? No, we're Oklahoma. We're in Texas, too. And so you have some of the best stories emanating. There was a story about Billy Sims, a great OU running back, that Oklahoma people even had him hidden somewhere in uh, Mexico during the most heated time of the recruiting before signing day. <laughs> now, it sounds like an urban legend. But I'm not so sure on that one. I mean, it was just intense. And I don't think Texas high school players looked at OU as, oh, I'm going out of state. No, I'm just going to Oklahoma. So A young man could, could get himself into probably a little bit of trouble and a little bit of fun hiding out in, in Mexico for a couple of weeks during that time, right? Well, I mean, what if you get the cartel on your side? On your side, I, I hope. I hope not against you. You could have... You could have dueling cartels competing for a guy. Yeah, the, the other thing about this rivalry, John, is it's pretty evenly matched. You know, there are some good rivalries that I hope to see preserved that are nonetheless somewhat lopsided. This one's not not that way. You know, Texas enjoys the advantage in the series, but you know, it's about fifty five forty five in terms of winning percentages in, in favor of, of Texas. And if you go back, you know, the last decade, 15 years or so, Oklahoma enjoys the advantage, but it's not been, you know, a, a total, um, a total runaway. Texas has, has landed some punches even here while Oklahoma's had the better program here throughout the past decade. And, and really had, had, Oklahoma not made a, a quarterback change there, going from Spencer Rattler to Caleb Williams in last year's game. Texas was was poised to to pull an upset last season. So, yeah, I think the other thing too, so many neutral site games, I think, lose something by playing, you know, off a campus site. I don't think this one is the case, though. I, I think playing at that neutral site in Dallas, I, I think it works perfectly for this game. It's it's tradition and. And I think the venue serves serves this rivalry well. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Uh, Melinda and I were staying with friends there, OU Texas week. I think Tennessee had an open date. We were staying there one week. And uh, there was there were as many OU fans as there were Longhorn fans. There's not much difference between them. I couldn't imagine if if Texas or, or OU went to the SEC on its own and the other one was left behind, that would – that would kind of be a, a void in uh, in college football, not having OU Texas. 
Well, that's a great segue, John, because I think a void in college football was when Texas A&M joined the SEC a decade ago. And as a result, a casualty was its annual game against Texas, which which takes me to my next pick. I know we're, we're going back to back with the with the SEC newcomers here in Texas, but I think I think both these rivalries are just great games. You you mentioned Texas Oklahoma, but Texas Texas A&M to me is is a special game. They normally play it right around Thanksgiving, uh, you know, sometimes on on Black Friday, and and it took the uh, the prime role there on the, on the day after Thanksgiving while you're enjoying some some Thanksgiving leftovers and, and watching football all day. I think Kyle Field is is one of the neatest environments in all of college football. And you could just tell when, when Texas was in town, I mean, as rocking as Kyle Field always, always is anyway, it's like it hit another level for this game. And I know, I know initially the reports coming out of Texas was were that Texas A&M were, was bitter about Texas joining the SEC and, and they wanted to be the only the only Texas school in the conference but you know maybe maybe they'll get over that or maybe the SEC will just tell them to get over that cuz I think this is a game that needs to happen every year and and I've said before you know that when we had the last round of conference realignment about a decade ago it wasn't just this rivalry that was was lost the, the last la- round of realignment really it didn't make any sense from a geographical standpoint. It didn't make any sense from a rivalry standpoint. And we all know that those things don't motivate realignment. Money motivates realignment. And money, money is motivating this move by the SEC. But one of the positive side effects is it can reestablish some rivalries that were lost in past rounds of, of realignment. And I think this is a, is a great example. And it's just one of, it, it was always one of my favorite games of the year. And I, I hated to see it go. And, uh, so I, I've got it there with my number two pick. Well, I, I agree with you. That it's a great rivalry. And the rivalry has changed so much during my lifetime. I remember back in the 60s, um, Texas A&M wasn't up to snuff. Texas A&M was a middle-of-the-road SEC team. It, it had some good years. Texas was competing for national championships. Uh, back-to-back years playing Texas and Arkansas. Texas and Arkansas played with – number one on the line. And you know, the Texas OU rivalry, I think Texas people kind of, they look down on, on the Aggies. There was an Aggie joke book. You know, how many Aggies does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know, but that was one of the jokes. <laughs> but anyway, so, but it changed when it's interesting when, when Emory Ballard went to Texas A&M, he got that had that uh, wishbone offense going, and and A and M got better, and then you had Jackie Sherrill went in there and really started winning. R C Slocum carried it up, and so now I think it was really interesting. The Texas A and M moved to the big conference. It was almost, hey, we've out we've outgrown you, Texas. We're moving on. You stay here in the Big Twelve. Uh, uh, you know, but but we're moving on to bigger and better things. You can stay there. And I think Texas A&M, that was a huge ego move on A&M's part. Great move. You're moving for the money. You're moving for the competition. But still, to leave Texas behind, and Texas hasn't been as good uh, since then for the most part. So I think the rivalry now with Texas, with NIL money, Texas will come back. 
And I think that rivalry was will probably peak in the SEC. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, you know, in the 10 years since this this rivalry's been dormant, it's been a little bit of a role reversal. We've seen Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. They're sort of the big dogs now. They're they're coming into the season with uh, you know, top 5, top 10 projections. They're coming off that number 1 ranked recruiting class that uh has been the the topic of of much conversation here in in the last uh, couple months, but and I think that that adds a little more sizzle to this game. You know, if it, if it just picked up where it left off and, and Texas was, was still big brother, then yeah, it would still be a great rivalry, but I don't know. I, I think it, it can take it to an even higher level now that, that Texas A&M has, has, has changed its course. It's the veteran inside the sec, at least as compared to Texas, it's got a 10 year head start on the Longhorns and, and Texas is desperately trying to to catch up, not only to Texas A and M, but to catch up to where it believes it it should be, uh, take its you know reclaim its rightful place in in college football. So I think this this rivalry could come back better uh, than than we left it a little over ten years ago. Yeah, well, look at it from a coaching perspective. Who would you rather have as your coach? Jimbo Fisher won a national championship at Florida State. Aggies played him, paid him a fortune to to come to Aggie Land. Or Steve Sarkeesian. It's Jimbo. I mean, the only just, thing is, I don't want to cover Jimbo because he talks a mile a minute. You know, typing out all those quotes as oh, he talks is impossible. You got to have a tape recorder. So, yeah, I mean, AM, it's got, it's the big dog now. Texas has got to actually prove itself and prove itself in foreign territory. All right. Who's your next big dog, John? What's your, what's your number three rivalry that the SEC? has to preserve on an annual basis. And this is this is our number, what, five overall? Number five overall. Okay, this one will surprise you, but rivalries are kind of in the eye of the beholder. And so I grew up in a small town of Clinton, Louisiana, 30 miles from Baton Rouge, 40 miles from the LSU campus, 20 miles from the Mississippi border. So in my town, there were Ole Miss fans. And you go back in my formative years in the late 50s, LSU and Ole Miss played two straight years, 58-59, when both were unbeaten and both in the running for the national championship. So to me, that LSU-Ole Miss rivalry is just still a big deal. And I think it is still, still with a lot of fans down there. I know Ole Miss hasn't had the success of LSU, but it's still a big deal because of proximity. They just aren't that far from each other. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a sneaky good pick there. It's one of those historic games that, uh, you know, maybe in, if, if you take someone my age, say in, you know, in their mid thirties or, or even younger, maybe they just don't totally grasp the meaning uh, of this game because, you know, for the last 20 years or so, it's been pretty, pretty lopsided in LSU's way. But, but yeah, I mean, I think from a geographical perspective, from, from history to me, there's three elements to, to rivalry. There, there's competitiveness, there's geography and there's history. And, and certainly when it comes to, to geography and history, this, this game is, you know, is no slouch. And I think for, for older fans, maybe not that I'm calling you old, John, I know you're always a one criticism away from a, from that ageism lawsuit. So I, I gotta be tread light, lightly here, but for older fans, I do think this is probably a, a really important game. Would you agree? Maybe it's more 
more appreciated by folks of your generation? Yeah, and I, I thanks for thanks for adding that to my file. The, the lawsuit one day I'll file against Gannett, file against Gannett Company uh, for age discrimination. I appreciate that. If you ever go to the College Football Hall of Fame, I went to it in South Bend when it was there, uh, in the shadow of Notre Dame, and it's now in Atlanta, downtown Atlanta. You're going to watch one play. You watch the LSU Ole Miss game in 1959. Both teams unbeaten, one and two. LSU's won 18 straight games, defending national champion. Ole Miss has an even better team. Each team must have punted 10 times apiece. Easy. So you got about six, seven minutes, maybe nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Ole Miss punched to Billy Cannon. Heisman Trophy winner catches it a kind of a muddy feel, slightly muddy, picks it up on his 11-yard line, runs through six tacklers all the way for a touchdown. It's one of it's one of the greatest plays in college football history, whether you care about LSU or Ole Miss. But that's the one play I would I would recommend because you got all these plays you can watch there on video. And that is truly an epic moment for college football. All right, my third pick here. I'm going with the cocktail party. Georgia, Florida. I know each of these teams has like several opponents you could call rivals. And, and and with Florida, you look outside the conference and they have Florida State. And even inside the SEC, uh, you could look at, at Tennessee. You could look at LSU. You could look at Auburn before division play interrupted that from being an annual game. And and same way with Georgia. They're, they're not at a shortage of rivals. Um, but I think this is another neutral site game that, you know, isn't necessarily tarnished. Although I think played on campus sites, it would be a bananas atmosphere either, either direction. Uh, and also just selfishly, I like the beach. I like warm weather. I like seafood, you know, playing that game in, in Jacksonville and, and anything called a cocktail party. I mean, it's almost like you can have fun long before the, the game starts. You're drinking cocktails out on out on the sand. And then, oh, by the way, you got two rivals that are going to play on on Saturday afternoon. And the other thing is, you know, for so many years since it's gone to division play, this was a a, a huge game in in terms of the the East race. I know in the early days of division play, it was Tennessee, Florida, but as Tennessee has receded, Georgia has risen up, and so then you know the most important division game on Florida's schedule, I feel like, went from Tennessee, Florida to Georgia, Florida, and and I think at least inside the conference. Um, you know, Georgia's always been Florida's top rival. Georgia, you can maybe argue a couple different directions, but nonetheless, huge game for both programs. I, I think this is this is one you got to preserve. I agree. It's amazing how in agreement we are on these rivalries. I haven't had one one pick of yours that I objected to. I, I was in Jacksonville for two years, covered that world's largest cocktail party two years in a row, and I've probably told this story before on air. Uh, Georgia beat Florida, and there was a wire fence around the old stadium there in Jacksonville, and the fans just kind of pushed it down, just the sheer force of their weight, and they came running out on the field. I was on my way to the locker room, and there was a there was a dog fan down on his knees eating grass as bigger and better than Les Miles LSU's coach ever did. He was just taking that turf with him. Was he barking? In between bites, he was. He he was. <laughs> he wasn't all bark and no bite. Let me tell you that. You think he might might grab somebody's ankle there if they got too close? 
I'm not sure he knew what he was actually doing. I think he'd had a few cocktails along during the course of the day. Mm-hmm. Pretty red faced, Georgia red. You know, I think officially this game didn't it stop being called the, the world's largest cocktail yeah. party a while ago. I refuse to acknowledge any of that. You know, it's like that's that's the way fans know. And that's what everybody knows it as. You can be politically correct and if you want, but to me and you, it's still the cocktail party. And and I think to the people going to that game, that's what it is. I mean, people do drink alcohol beverages at sporting events. Yeah. I know. Uh, and, I mean, and, I, and now you can actually sell them in SEC games. It's like, what's the problem with calling it the cocktail party? All right, your your next pick, your it'll be the number four pick for you and the number seven rivalry overall as we proceed here to our list of ten rivalries the SEC must preserve on an annual basis. It's not as clear-cut for me now. and You get down to some real tough choices. George and Auburn have been playing longer than anybody. But, uh, again, going back to my Louisiana roots, I'd have to go with LSU-Alabama. I mean, for a long time, Bear Bryant era in particular, there wasn't much LSU could do about it. They couldn't beat Alabama, and there have been some you know, times since then where it's been difficult under Nick Saban. You add in Nick Saban, coached at both schools, won national titles at both school, schools. This has become a really, a really heated rivalry and a lot of times with a lot on the line. And when you think back, Blake, to that 2019 LSU team under coached by the beloved Ed Orgeron, Kojo, going against Alabama. LSU won the game, considered one of the best teams in college football history. And lo and behold, the next year, here comes Alabama with another one of the best teams in college football history. Just the sheer talent on the field. And you see that, and it goes back and forth. Alabama's had some really good players from Louisiana. So uh, I that's more of a recent thing for the high profile, but I just have to list that one. Do you, you go along with that one, or you would you pick somebody ahead of that? No, I, I agree. And I think, again, for folks of my generation, this makes perfect sense. You know, I, to me, you have to have Alabama, LSU. And and from a historical sense, like you said, maybe maybe not. But I think if you're just looking through the lens of, like, the last 20 years, there, this is oftentimes – this game in the Iron Bowl, I think maybe the – two most important games in in a college football season, or certainly at least in SEC conference play, they're, they're huge. And yes, Alabama enjoys a decided advantage in this series. But again, if you just look at, at the direction college football is, is headed, where it's, where it's been in, in, in recent history, you know, this millennium, this has been a, a big game. It, it was actually, you know, I've got my games listed out here. This game was number six on my list, all of the, the five games ahead of it, either you or I have picked. So yeah, if you didn't, if you didn't take this one, I was going to take this one next. And, and that then leads me in a different direction for my fourth pick. And you alluded to it here just a moment ago, I'm going Georgia Auburn. This game gets overshadowed, I think by the iron bowl, the Alabama Auburn is the, is the marquee rivalry game. And so this, for Auburn is is number two, and I think for Georgia, you can make the case that uh, Florida Georgia is the marquee rivalry game. So for for both schools, you know maybe this is the number two rival, but it's still a 
a huge game. It's a long-standing game. I think you know, depending on where you live in in these states, if you're living, you know, in a border town somewhere around like Columbus, Columbus, Georgia, Phoenix City, Alabama, you know, it's a it's a melting pot there. You're just as liable to run into a, a Georgia fan as an Auburn fan. So I think you know, again, depending on where you're at in in this in in these two states, huge huge game. Yeah, I agree, Blake. And the last two times I've covered a game at Auburn, I stayed in Columbus, Georgia. So there you go with that proximity. It's it's such a factor. And you have towns that are split. Like I was talking about my hometown in Clinton, Louisiana. I think anytime you have a fan base split in a, t- in a small town, that makes for a great rivalry. And there are small towns all over the place. So I'd definitely go along with that one. All right, and and you know, I mean, there's something to be said for being the Deep South's oldest rivalry, right? I mean, if if we're honoring tradition and history at all, this game has to be on the list. And and the other thing I'd say about this one, not that this is the end all be all, but this is a series that's been pretty evenly matched. And and again, it's you can just look at through the lens of recent history and say, well, Georgia's enjoyed the advantage. Yes, that's true since Kirby Smart's been there. But as you go back throughout time i mean it goes back and forth back and forth and and overall ac- across more than 120 matchups it's it's almost 50 50 georgia enjoys a, a slight edge of just a, a handful of games and i think i think that helps rivalries when you know it's not one team winning 80 percent of the time so all right your final final pick john i think i would go with tennessee alabama again you have bordering states they play in different divisions, but they play each other every year. And uh, I wrote a column a few years ago saying Tennessee really needs to end this rivalry. For practicality purposes, it puts it at a disadvantage schedule-wise. When you're pa- playing a superpower outside your division every year and you're trying to climb up through the SEC East, you're starting off with one loss by having Alabama as your rivalry the reaction to that column was overwhelming. No, we want to play Tennessee fans. We want to play Alabama no matter what. It doesn't matter who's coaching or how it's gone. We want to play Alabama. We want to prove ourselves against Alabama. And so Tennessee's still trying to prove itself. It's interesting. Uh, you wrote that column a few years back, you were saying, and I wrote a column last week that said maybe it's time in this revised schedule to end Tennessee, Florida on an annual basis. Of course, that rivalry was hatched out of division play and, and those two teams in the 90s were the best programs in the East. And Steve Spurrier, having grown up in Tennessee and all the quips he directed at Philip Fulmer and the Vols, that, that added heat on that rivalry. But it, that rivalry just hasn't been the same since since Spurrier and, and Fulmer left the left the sidelines and Tennessee's you know fallen off and, and that game just doesn't have as much meaning. And when I wrote that column, I heard from a lot of Tennessee fans that said, yeah, that's fine if if they get rid of Tennessee, Florida on an annual basis. They'd still play, but not every year. But I, I heard a similar thing of would rather, if it comes down to either playing Alabama every year or Florida every year, I pretty much unanimously heard would rather play Alabama every year. One rivalry. So we've got our, if we got our rivalries. Is I, got, that it? I got one left. You got one. Okay. Well, let me see what you pick. Cause okay. I've got one, I've got one game. Left on my list. I want to see what you pick here. 
All right. Well, the two I'm debating between, these are the, the two left on, on my top 10 list here, is Arkansas, Texas. I know we've, we've, we've already lined up a couple for Texas with OU and, uh, and Texas A&M. But I think if you talk to Arkansas fans, particularly those that, that rem- remember the Southwest Conference days, I still think they would point to Texas as being Arkansas's number one rival. And the other one I'm going to mention, it may surprise you, I'd say South Carolina and Georgia. Um, I, I can see the look on your face as I no, mentioned that. No, it wasn't. No, I'm just, I'm just amused because if I'd have had one more pick, I would have probably taken Tennessee, Georgia, because they've had a lot of good games. They play in the East. There's a lot of, there's a lot of history there, and they're bordering states. So I, but that's a really, that's a really tough call. Yeah, and you know, I think for it depends how you look at this. Like again, for South Carolina, I mean, their top rival is is Clemson outside the SEC. But if you look at inside the SEC, I think Georgia is. Is certainly South Carolina's top rival. Now, I don't. Georgia fans would not tell you that South Carolina is is their top rival. And again, with Texas, Arkansas, Texas fans are not going to say Arkansas is their top rival. But I think a lot of Arkansas fans would say that. And so, all right, I got to decide here. I'm going with Texas, Arkansas. That's now three that we're trying to preserve for Texas, uh, the newcomers. But I'm sorry, I, there's just so many so many good matchups you can you can play there. And, uh, I don't know, you know, I sort of missed the Southwest conference was, was fading, John, as my memories of college football were, were forming. I can, I can sort of kind of remember the the final days as a kid, uh, you know, really enjoying college football, but I don't, I don't have strong memories of it. I was a, I was a young guy. You have, you, you have fond memories, I believe. Yes. Of the Southwest yes, conference. Yes, I did. Yeah. So, so am I crazy here to think that, uh, Arkansas, Texas is is maybe I know it wasn't on your list, but you think that's an okay final pick? Well, no, I was just kind of going. I got two Texas with two rivalries, so it was close. But no, for older fans like myself, I mean, you go back to Texas OU. I love the old old Southwest Conference. I, I mean, it was very competitive in in a, in a kind of a strange way because you had uh, you know Texas at the top often. But you in Arkansas in the 60s was right there with them. Arkansas had a good program. But I miss like SMU and TCU playing each other. Games like that, Texas Tech and Baylor. All the teams, most of the teams outside of Arkansas in the same state, Rice was in the Southwest Conference, Houston for a while. I really loved it. And that, again, that had to do with proximity because I grew up in Louisiana. But I lived in Texas for three years in the mid-70s. and. Uh, I love those uh, in-state rivalries, all those schools playing each other. And it was so competitive. It was so competitive that they basically blew it up. They were all cheating so much in recruiting. SMU got the death penalty, but there were others kind of walking that plank. They could see the gallows from where they were. Uh, So, yeah, that was a very competitive league. Yeah, and, and Arkansas leaving the Southwest Conference for the for the SEC, I feel like was kind of the first the first blow, really. Well, at least in terms of departures, was was the yeah. blow that kind of got things rolling. To the, you could argue there were some other uh, some other blows to that to that league, but I think you know when Arkansas was in the conference, it always felt like it was sort of like the the stepchild member to a to a Texas conference. It was 
you know, it was, a, it was the non-Texas school in a Texas conference. But to me, that's what that's what lays the groundwork for this rivalry, right? Is, is you want to show, you know, big bad Texas, you know, older brother, uh, <laughs> that that you're uh, you're you're nobody's uh, you know weakling that they're going to knock around. And Arkansas showed that last year. I think, you know, in a, in a non-conference game, that was that was. That was a, a huge a big win. statement. Yeah, big yeah, statement. That was I think a for huge win. for Arkansas to to win that. And I think, um, you know, I think Sam Pittman said at the time that uh, you know he's been around Arkansas enough to know that many Arkansas fans still, even though time has passed, consider Texas to be a rival number one. So there's our top ten. I know we we left out some other good ones, but I think what we've learned here is. If you go to that format with just one designated rival for each team, there's going to be a lot of good rivals that are lost on an annual basis because we've had multiple games here where you know it's the same team appearing multiple multiple times. So under our system, Texas could play OU, Arkansas, A and M every year. There we go. We got them figured out. If it goes to this three six format with three rivals, we've already figured out Texas is three rivals right there. There you go. That's a pretty tough slate having to play OU, A&M, and Arkansas every year. But, hey, welcome welcome to the big leagues, Texas. You know, that's Texas A&M, nobody took it easy on them when they came in. They threw them right that's in the West. A, that's the truth. <laughs> so you, you want to play in the SEC? That's fine. You get, uh, you get OU, A&M, and Arkansas every year. And every other year you get to play Alabama, LSU, et cetera. See whether you like it after all. All right, John, we'll leave it there, and uh, you can let us know which rivalries uh, we missed. Direct all your emails to John Adams. He likes that uh, He likes that hate mail and might even use it in a future column. I will use it, guarantee. The John Adams guarantee. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.